You're listening to Teach, Think, Treat, a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. This podcast is for healthcare professionals and students about teaching and learning in a busy clinical setting. Whilst our setting is a tertiary paediatric hospital, our experiences and challenges are shared by many professionals and students in other clinical environments. Hi, my name is Steve Lacey and I'm the Allied Health Education Fellow in the RCH Education Hub. I also work as a tutor radiographer in the hospital's medical imaging department. Across all of Allied Health, there's a huge variation in the use of clinical supervision programs. Some disciplines have very well-established programs, whilst others just simply don't do it. There has been an increased focus on clinical supervision for Allied Health clinicians recently, with the development of a statewide Allied Health clinical supervision framework and clinical supervision training modules for Allied Health. So today I'm talking with Marcus Gardner. Marcus is actually a podiatrist with Bendigo Health, but was tasked with the mammoth job of leading the formation of the Victorian Allied Health Clinical Supervision Framework. Thanks for joining us, Marcus. Thanks for having me along, Steve. So let's just start by asking what is clinical supervision and why it's important? Steve, clinical supervision is a structured professional relationship with usually a more experienced health professional supporting the learning and development of a less experienced colleague. So typically they'll use reflective practice, clinical reasoning and feedback to help the supervisee develop their clinical skills and knowledge. It also provides a safe space to discuss issues that the supervisee might be finding challenging. And finally, it helps clinicians to provide evidence-based care and adhere to professional and organisational standards. So ultimately, the goals of clinical supervision are to optimise patient care and outcomes and to support the um, well-being of our allied health workers. So we're talking about clinical supervision of qualified clinicians, right? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so how does this differ from the clinical supervision of a, an undergraduate student? Yeah, it's a good differentiation to make. So while there's similarities and you draw on similar skill sets are actually different. So you think about a, a student placement, it might be for a, quite a short period of time, whereas a staff member will be usually engaged with the, with the health service for a longer period of employment. There's different roles and responsibilities, um, different uh, levels of autonomy, and the length of the supervision relationships are also different as well. Yep. So having recognised capability in supervising students doesn't necessarily mean you've got competency in supervising staff. And what are the challenges for allied health when accessing high-quality clinical supervision? So I think language is a, is a bit of a challenge for us. So the language we use around clinical supervision isn't always consistent. So it can mean different things to different people. So it might differ depending on your professional background, on the setting in which you work, or your own experience of receiving or not receiving supervision. What I call clinical supervision, someone else might call mentoring. So, so what's an example then of language being inconsistent? Yeah, so supervision is probably a common one that comes up. Um, so the way I would differentiate clinical supervision and mentoring is to say that clinical supervision normally happens within the same organisation um, and there is a level of accountability there to the organisation, to the clients that you're seeing or patients that you're seeing um, and to the professional standards. Mentoring is often um, what we call offline, so it might happen from someone from another organisation, and it's normally a voluntary process. So both focus on learning and support of a health professional, um, but I think the key difference is around that accountability and that governance around clinical supervision. Yeah, I think I've seen or at least heard of, of people using the term supervision and mentoring interchangeably, and, that, and so uh, it's any wonder that people kind of get a bit confused with what's what. Yeah. Are the issues different? for different allied health disciplines in terms of the issues of clinical supervision? 
Yeah, absolutely. So while our hospital quality standards say that all staff should be receiving appropriate levels of supervision and support, and there are standards set by some professional associations, um, we have a really different history of clinical supervision in allied health. So some disciplines like social work and psychology have a very long and rich history of clinical supervision. Um, and it's an integral part of training new staff and maintaining quality standards in those professions. So for other professions like, like my own, um, podiatry, um, clinical supervision until more recently was um, only for um, students or a graduate or less experienced staff. So it's a newer concept. But there's good evidence that all um, allied health professionals can benefit from receiving clinical supervision. And do different allied health disciplines do clinical supervision differently? Yeah, they do. So I mentioned social work, so um, that's a good example. So social work, traditionally clinical supervision um, has been a reflective practice process that normally happens away from the clinical area where the supervisor and supervisee might reflect on challenging um, clients or patients um, and the, the impact they might be having on the supervisee. Whereas there's some emerging evidence that say physiotherapists actually perform prefer direct methods of clinical supervision. So teaching and learning with patients mm-hmm. um, and providing feedback to the supervisor to, to develop clinical skills. So I guess it's important to remember allied health is a very broad church. It's a broad um, range of professions that are included and there's not a one size all um, fits all model. Um, so normally a combination of approaches um, will work best, but the golden rule is that clinical supervision should be based on the learning and support needs of the supervisee. Yeah. And does the level of experience of the supervisee make a difference? Yeah, sure. So for less experienced clinicians, there might be more of a focus on developing clinical skills and getting feedback from their supervisor as they develop these skills. Um, and this should be balanced with some time for reflection to consolidate that learning and provide them with support as well. Whereas for more experienced clinicians who are confident with their clinical practice, the focus on supervision might be more on reflective practice, professional development, career-focused activities, or the supervision that they're providing to others. All right. So let's just start talking about the practicalities of clinical supervision itself. How does the whole supervisor and supervisee situation work? So does it have to be a senior allied health professional supervising a junior allied health professional? It doesn't. Most of the time it is. And particularly within our hospital structures, that's often how it works. You have a more experienced grade level um, um, supervising a sort of less experienced grade level. Um, But it doesn't have to work that way. And particularly, I think when we think about more experienced clinicians um, who have consolidated their clinical skills, other models can be used. So it could be a group model of supervision. It could be a peer model of supervision. It could be supervision from another profession. Right. Yeah. So um, I think the important point is um, when we have less um, experienced clinicians, generally they'll need supervision from within the discipline and from someone more experienced in that discipline. So could you have like a, a grade two supervise another grade two, for example? Yeah, I think so. I think that can work. Um, so again, I bring it back to the learning and support needs of the supervisee. So if that grade two peer colleague is the most important, uh, is, is the most um, appropriate person, sorry, to actually provide that supervision, I think that can be appropriate. Yeah. Um, but sometimes those peer models can also then be used to complement a more sort of structured um, model where there's a more senior experienced colleague providing that supervision. So you might even do one month of peer and one month of a um, more experienced colleague providing that supervision. Yeah. And within allied health, is it possible then that a supervisor from one discipline could supervise someone another? Yeah, it doesn't happen very often at the moment because traditionally supervision has been very much discipline specific and within our own professions. But there is emerging evidence that interprofessional supervision can work really well, again, particularly for more experienced uh, clinicians 
um, who have a really good understanding of what supervision is and what they need to get out of it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So kind of almost like a we did a previous podcast on the peer review of teaching and stuff like that. So something a little bit more like that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think um, to do that, you need to have a really good understanding of what your needs are as a supervisee and as a supervisor, what the needs of the supervisee are that you're actually supervising. Yeah. Okay. And look, I assume then that you'd need buy-in from all of the staff as you'll be needing them to be both supervisors and supervisees. How do you get around those people that just aren't interested in being part from either side? I think it's a tricky one. I think um, what I'd say is um, it's really important to develop a culture of supervision within the organisation and it's not something we can do overnight. It's just sort of a longer process. So we know that organisational support is really important and support from managers in the organisation and role modelling of managers and senior clinicians is really important as well so that um, they see the value of supervision and they promote that to, to less experienced staff. Right. Um, training is really important as well. So people actually have an idea of what supervision is um, and, and what they should be doing in supervision or what some of the options might be. Um, and then tools to support them to actually do it as well. So um, I think there's a range of different things that need to be brought together um, to, to support that sort of overall culture of supervision. Yeah. What happens in an area like podiatry when it comes to clinical supervision? So Steve, as I mentioned before, I think podiatry is it's a bit more of a recent um, uh, sort of phenomenon in, in podiatry. Like when I graduated, I didn't actually have the opportunity to receive supervision, which is partially where my interest has come from. Um, but I think there's been a lot of learning across allied health and, and sharing of the benefits of supervision and, and how, to, how to do it across different allied health professions. So I think it has absolutely been more um, widely practiced in lots of professions like podiatry. But I think I also see with um, some supervisees, sometimes they it can be a bit of a tick-the-box exercise and um, going through a list of what you're doing at the moment and not necessarily supporting their learning learning and development. And maybe that's because with some professions, we're not quite so comfortable around reflective practice and how we actually use that really effectively to, to reflect on what we're doing and, and opportunities for improvement. Yeah, I get the feeling that clinical supervision is probably something that is done less formally and what we're trying to do is just try to make it a bit more of a formal process then. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think it has been a little bit ad hoc in the past. And that's, and that's really important as well to provide that ad hoc support. I've got a clinical question. I need some help with, with this at the moment. It's yeah. really important to provide that support to clinicians. It's also then important to, to step back and look at, okay, how, how can my learning be supported? How can I actually achieve my learning goals? How can my professional wellbeing be supported? Yeah, right. And, and how's COVID impacted the clinical supervision? Yeah, so obviously one of the most, um, one of the biggest challenges um, with clinicians during COVID has been lots have been working remotely. So we've seen an increase in supervision via Zoom and other sort of platforms or, or via phone or, or what have you. Um, and this has been great in terms of maintaining access to clinical supervision because it could easily sort of drop off um, the agenda at this time with so many competing demands. But I think one of the real opportunities that COVID has brought is um, highlighting the importance of using clinical supervision to support professional wellbeing. Yeah. So we know that working in health can be really demanding, especially at the moment. So it's really important to use clinical supervision to reflect on some of those challenges and to help us to, you know, come up with strategies to deal with work-related stress. Mm -hmm. um, and supervision can also provide that really safe space to discuss the impact of change and the fatigue that, that many of us are feeling at the moment. Can you tell us, like, if we start now looking at the framework itself, can you tell us why the Victorian Allied Health Clinical Supervision Framework was developed? Yeah, sure. So it was developed to address some of the issues we've already spoken about um, and really to promote a consistent approach to clinical supervision across Allied Health in Victoria. 
So the framework outlines principles that underpin high quality clinical supervision and what our clinicians, teams and organisations can do to support this. So it provides guidance for allied health workers, managers and organisations to promote consistent and effective practice of clinical supervision. Yeah. Uh, And how can clinicians use the framework? So clinicians have told us that one of the things they really like about the framework is that it helps to define what clinical supervision is for allied health. It helps to differentiate clinical supervision from other processes like operational management and from student supervision. The framework also highlights why we do clinical supervision. So it's centred around high quality patient care, which reinforces the importance of clinical supervision in making sure that our clinicians have the right knowledge and the right skills to provide evidence-based care. And the other aspect of the framework that's so important is that clinical supervision is there to help support our professional wellbeing. What about how organisations themselves can use the framework as a whole? Yeah, so we know that the effectiveness of clinical supervision can vary across different allied health professions and settings, which can impact on its benefits for allied health clinicians and their patients. So for that reason, it's really important that we continually evaluate clinical supervision and make sure that it's of a high quality. So using the Victorian Allied Health Clinical Supervision Framework provides the tools and resources for allied health clinicians and managers to evaluate, to implement and maintain high quality clinical supervision. Yeah. And now I've had a look at the framework itself and part of it is that there's the inclusion of these training modules. Can you tell us a little bit about these training modules? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the main reasons why we developed the framework was um, so that we could actually inform a common sort of uh, approach to training for clinical supervision in Victoria as well. Because one of the big challenges in the past is that clinicians have had trouble accessing clinical supervision training. Yeah. So the Victorian government has funded the development of online training modules, which are aligned to the framework. Um, And the modules are available for any allied health clinician, allied health professional or assistant uh, working in Victoria. So they really cover the foundational theory and um, skills for supervision practice. There's five different modules covering areas like getting started with supervision, how to set up a supervision relationship, testing effective supervision, both point of care and reflective supervision, and also managing common challenges in supervision. And how can clinicians access this training? So for most allied health working in, say, a hospital, um, you should be able to access the modules through your learning management system. Um, But if you don't have access to a learning management system, there's also a web-based version of the modules available at vicalladhealthsupervision.com.au. Right. And and what about some tips for best practice clinical supervision for clinicians? So I think the first one is to prioritise accessing clinical supervision or advocating for access if you're not currently able to access supervision. I also think it's really important to do a stock take of your supervision. So even if you're accessing it, is it actually meeting your learning needs? Are you feeling supported in supervision? Are you feeling challenged to learn and to grow? And for those who are accessing clinical supervision, what can they do to make it effective? We know that having a positive clinical supervision relationship is one of the most important factors influencing the effectiveness of supervision. So it creates a trusting, safe learning environment for the supervisee where they'll feel comfortable to disclose challenges or pressure points with their practice and be open to learning from these. And it also then supports their professional wellbeing. So using a clinical supervision agreement, which is one of the tools um, aligned with the framework, is a great way to support the development of a positive clinical supervision relationship and to support effective supervision. And the agreement helps to provide clarity and expectation for both parties because not everyone has the same experience or value of clinical supervision that that you might have. And if you do have an agreement in place, when was the last time you actually reviewed it? So so often with these um, documents, we write them up and put them away and we don't come back to them. So reviewing the agreement is a really useful way to evaluate whether supervision is actually achieving what it's intended to do. Yeah. 
let's say you have a, a, a department that doesn't do clinical supervision, doesn't have anything kind of set up. You start thinking to yourself, I want to set this thing up. And then you kind of have a second thought and think, I don't have time for this. And I know most of my staff are going to say the same thing. We don't have time to do this because we're just such a busy department. How can we get around that kind of stuff? Um, I think it's really important to think about sometimes we're busy doing things um, and so busy doing things we don't have time to, to actually step back and actually review what we're doing and whether there are more efficient or effective ways to, to do those things. I think supervision provides such a great opportunity to step back and go, okay, I'm doing this at the moment, but maybe there's a different way of doing it. Maybe I can talk to my supervisor about a different way of approaching this, this issue. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's really promoting um, using supervision to actually help us to, to manage our workloads um, and, and our day-to-day activities. Yeah. What other tips have you got about clinical supervision? Um, so I've already mentioned like supervision is, is such a, an integral part of learning. So making sure that supervision is aligned to the supervisor's learning needs is really important. So in supervision, you're just ticking the box or going over a list of what the supervisor is doing. And if you are, you're really missing the opportunity to, to use supervision to support the supervisee's learning and development. So one way of ensuring that supervision is aligned with the supervisee's learning needs is developing learning goals that are used to inform the content and approaches um, of supervision that you use. Unfortunately, again, we're always, not always uh, great at actually developing learning goals, and sometimes we do develop them and don't revisit them. So it's important if you do spend the time to develop the learning goals, making sure you come back to them and make, making sure that they're actually being achieved in supervision. Yeah. And we talked about COVID before and how that's affected clinical supervision. What are some changes that can be made with clinical supervision to make sure that the supervisees are still being supported during a pandemic such as this? Yeah, sure. So like we talked about before, um, the situation with COVID and the additional stress placed on health professionals really highlights the need to focus on wellbeing. And it's important that we um, include the supportive aspects of supervision. So it's not just about learning, it's also about supporting the professional wellbeing of the supervisee. So things like the supervisor just checking in with the supervisee during supervision, how are you actually going, listening without judgment. Um, if there are stresses or challenges, developing strategies to support the supervisee's wellbeing. And of course, seeking out additional support if the problem's more serious. And also then going back and checking back in again can make a big difference just to make sure the supervisee is feeling heard and feeling supported. I really like there's um, a slogan from the 1920s um, with the British coal miners and they talk about the right to wash off the grime in the boss's time. <laughs> and, um, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you think about a, you know, a coal miner back in the 1920s, they came out of the, the mines, they were filthy dirty at the end of the day, yep. they have to go home, spend an hour sort of cleaning, them, cleaning themselves up. They fought for the right to actually say, this is actually a work-related issue, we should be supported time within work to actually clean ourselves up. I think I think of supervision in a similar way, that um, we have a whole lot of challenges and stress with our work, and our organisation should be supporting us to actually wash away some of that grime yeah. um, within work time so we don't take those issues home with us. Yeah. Or you don't get to, you know, five o'clock on a Friday and your, uh, your boss just says, righto, guys, for the next hour we're doing clinical supervision on your time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably not the best approach. That's never going to work. <laughs> might not get engagement there. <laughs> so what can our managers and leaders do to support effective clinical supervision other than making them stay back at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon? <laughs> well, okay, there's probably three main things that I can think of. So the first is to role model the value of supervision. So we know one of the biggest influences on the implementation of effective supervision is manager and organisational support. 
So if, manage, if our managers and leaders don't value supervision, there's a fair chance their staff won't either. Yeah. Second one is to evaluate clinical supervision practice. So how do you know that staff and your teams are accessing supervision? How do you know that the supervision is of a high quality? There's lots of ways to evaluate supervision from auditing to surrounding with staff. And the Victorian Allied Health Clinical Supervision Framework has a self-assessment tool that has a number of performance indicators that you can use to evaluate supervision from an organisational perspective. The third one, which we kind of touched on before, is to supporting the development of a learning culture in the organisation. So at its heart, supervision is all about learning and our teams learn in many different ways, from on-the-job learning to in-services to self-directed learning. So learning from supervision would be much more effective if learning is valued and prioritised within our teams and organisations. That's great, Marcus. And clearly a lot of work has gone into um, developing this framework. I seem to remember a meeting that we had, what year was that? Well, it was pre-COVID. So it was definitely ago. pre-COVID. I'm thinking more like 2016, 2017 that I think uh, that you and I first met. But you, look, to be honest, you and your team should be very proud of what you've actually achieved. It would be great to see that the allied health professions are using it. What processes do you have in place to evaluate the effectiveness of the framework itself? Yeah, so um, other than the self-assessment tool that I mentioned within the framework, um, we're evaluating the training modules at the moment. So some organisations are involved in getting some end-user feedback on the training modules and um, that feedback's been really positive so far. But probably the most exciting thing is we're actually doing a statewide evaluation of the effectiveness of clinical supervision across allied health. So prior to actually launching the training modules and we'll, we'll do another survey after, after the modules have been launched. Um, and it's actually the biggest clinical supervision survey of allied health that's, that's happened in the world. So it's a really amazing opportunity done the, the baseline and we'll, we'll do the follow-up, but that will really help to inform whether the framework and the training has actually um, helped, um, but also it'll help to inform what we need to do in the future to help in, uh, improve clinical supervision practice for allied health. Uh, that's great. Thanks again, Marcus. Um, for those who are listening out there who want to access the framework, you should do it through your own learning management system in your own hospital if you can. If you can't do it that way, then head to vicalliedhealthsupervision.com.au. There's five modules and each take between about 15 and 30 minutes to complete. It is definitely well worth it. We'll also put the that particular website in our show notes as well. Keep a listen out for one of our future episodes where we're going to be talking with one or two people who have implemented clinical supervision into their own work and we'll also discuss the challenges and benefits along the way. Marcus, thanks again for your time. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for listening to Teach, Think, Treat, part of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast series. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, check out our other podcast show, Conversation with the Experts where professionals from the Melbourne Children's Campus provide advice and insights, tips and tricks, and discuss latest research findings on a range of topics.